Pilate sang this song to me There was a message in his melody Sweetest lyrics that I ever heard There's a message in the songs of earth Tomorrow is another day Living is the only way Tomorrow's gonna ever come Listen to the words of the song Everything gonna be Everything is gonna be Welcome to A Sip of Inspiration. I'm Stephanie Wilson-Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor, and joining me for today's show is Latanya Davison. She, I found her through, um, through a service that talked about, the heading was, The Healing Power of Laughter. And I thought, oh my God, we have got to have her on. Uh, that's just I believe in the power of laughter. And then as I did more research, I discovered that she was a clinical mental health therapist. And as a clinical mental health therapist who combines laughter, we just couldn't miss having you on this show. So thank you for answering the call to yes when I ask. And I want to take this time and uh, just ask everybody to breathe. I want you to take time to contact your friends now, reach out and let them know that we've got a dynamite lady on tonight. Before we get started, I have got to do my commercial for my <laughs> for my sponsor. So when you need a supply company to rise to your needs, call Resource Industrial Supply and Equipment. I want you to like this page, start a watch party. And if you want to see more, go out to YouTube to the Inspire or Stephanie E. Wilson Coleman page, and you will be able to see all of the shows that we've done. Also, like the Facebook page on Empower DR because that's where this show is. There is a page that says Empowerment Doctor. That's me also, but that's not where this show is. So if you want to see this show, stay here on this page. So now that we've got the housekeeping out of the way, which I'm not very good at, we're going to introduce you again and let you tell us about yourself because you've got an interesting background. So so tell us about yourself and your career and all that stuff we just discussed. I think it's really cool. Ooh, there's a lot. Thank you so much. First, I just want to say thank you for having me on, Dr. Stephanie. This is this is a, a, a special treat uh, to be able to come on to, again, a platform uh, such as yours and talk about something that I absolutely love. Well, two things I, I love is comedy and doing therapy. And uh, so I have been a mental health therapist for five years now. I'm a licensed master social worker and I work in behavioral psychiatric health with adults and kids um, doing individual family group therapy. Um, I have been in comedy since 2015 doing stand-up comedy and I also host a radio show called Mental Speak Radio uh, every Wednesday and as you found, I combine the two, comedy and uh, clinical therapy, uh, but I like to call myself a cultural therapist, helping, helping the, the, the culture heal from trauma through laughter. So thank you for that. I'm writing down cultural therapist because I think that is pretty cool too. So I want, that's how I'm going to remember you about that. So how did you get started in, in the mental health part? 
as as we said in the briefing, um, I actually got out of the Navy in uh, 2010. And my intention was to be a nurse. Uh, I worked on airplanes in the military. And so I don't know, I just felt like working with things versus working with people. You know, I, I knew uh, that I no longer wanted to work with things, um, but I actually wanted to be able to, you know, get that human connection. So I intended to start off as a nurse, uh, relocated from Louisiana to Texas, um, and ended up going from nursing into social sciences and ultimately getting my master's degree in sociology and social work. And so it just, I, I wish I, it's divine providence. I don't, I don't even know how to tell you that people always told me that I should be uh, a counselor. Mm -hmm. And so, it, and ironically always told me I should be a, a comedian. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it just, it just seemed to be my, my destiny. And uh, the path led to going to social work school, and I chose clinical therapy. Clinical therapy. Oh, that's that's exciting. So let's back up a little bit about this military career. So you just don't drop the bomb that you worked on airplanes, right? <laughs> you know, you know, you just, and you look at you look at you and say you worked on airplanes. Wow! How long were you in the in the military? Went in at 18 in 1996 and did, uh, did uh, about, I think I did three tours of 14 years. Uh, did a little time as a reservist. And uh, I mean, I loved it. You know, I got to travel around the world and, and see the world and meet great people. Um, but again, climbing around airplanes and yeah, got, got old after a while. <laughs> Like you said, it was things versus people, and you chose people. Yes. So after you entered the mental health field, did was there a, I guess, what was the shift like going from the military to that mental health field, from going from things to people? Okay, and so I am, I'm very open uh, in the work that I do. I do a lot of self-disclosure, but the transition for a military person I have yet to see it be easy for people and, and in, including myself, you know, the military has to mold, they have to take a person from civilian life, this regular day-to-day -day life into someone who can respond to directions, right? They, you mm -hmm. have to be mission oriented. They're gonna set a goal for you and you gotta follow those orders. And so as people can imagine, you've been conditioned to not think too much um, other than safety and mission. So imagine going from constantly having to think about, are we safe, are we safe, are we safe, to the real world and integrate into something that hasn't been that do or die, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's just, so the transition um, why a lot of us come out with symptoms of like PTSD and, and a lot of it, it's traumatic. Um, and, and for me, no less, you know, I came out and I think there was a lot of struggle just to, to realize just how much I had been changed by the military. Um, and 
it, it's it's been it's been a journey that I'm still on. So I would almost say I haven't even fully transitioned in the in the past 11 years that I've been out. But I will say that becoming a therapist has helped me see how trauma has worked inside of me. You know, how the things that I've needed to work on and work out in and out of the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you found in your practice uh the, the mental health story generally is that sometimes it's more of a factor for women or men. So have you seen a big enough difference uh, as to who is affected by it uh, and whether there is it sex that plays a, a, a part in it or is it careers or types of careers? Because I know when I read those statistics, I say, well, you know, that's awful blanket. You know, that's just men and women, especially in society today where all of us play all kinds of roles. Yes. I will tell you that in 2021, um, I actually uh, filled in for a mental health group uh, and probably a couple of weeks ago, and there were predominantly men. I feel that men have been so suppressed for so long, uh, emotionally suppressed, mm-hmm. that it's and, and we're seeing that COVID has created these waves, right, of mental mental health. I'm sure you've seen, and it seems to be that more men are coming forward and saying, "I can't do this. I need help." So I would almost say it's maybe maybe balancing out. Uh, maybe the stigma is starting to come down a little bit for men. Um, we'll probably have to see numbers in the future to see, you know, just how much the transition has changed. But I would say in my practice, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of guys. And since uh, we are in the COVID environment, how has that affected the people you say, do you see more people or people talking about it? And is the isolation as intense as people say? I am seeing that people were not even aware that COVID was the trigger. Um, so maybe they were already having issues prior to COVID and COVID just amplified the problems. Um, I was talking to a lady who she had suddenly had an onset of OCD behaviors. So I, I mean, she's cleaning all the time. She doesn't want to leave her house. She's paranoid that, you know, something's going to happen to her, that she's going to get sick. And she could not connect the dots uh, that it's, but when you ask the patients, the kids, especially, you'll ask them, when did this start? And they'll say, I think March. And they don't say COVID. They say, I think about March of last year. And you have to tell them, oh, that's when the quarantine, that's when, that's when the lockdown happened. So yeah. COVID has amplified uh, for some, but surprisingly, the people who were already dealing with really severe mental illness, I would say people who had like schizophrenia or, you know, maybe bipolar disorder, they actually seem to be thriving and okay. I don't know how to explain it, but we're, we're theorizing that um, they just have always been able to roll with the punches and something about the lockdown was was beneficial to them. 
Yeah, I think the lockdown probably pointed out a lot of things to people. It gave us a chance. I called it once. Um, it was the universe gave us a big time out that we needed to sit down and actually deal with what we were going through, what we were thinking, how we were handling our lives. Come because on. prior to COVID, we were fairly reckless. And then all of a sudden, we've got to sit still and think about it. And if you can't get people to sit still and meditate for 30 minutes <laughs> without talking about, as they tell me, but the thoughts just break in, right? It's like, yes. I can imagine what you see uh, when they're sitting down for 30 days, even. Exactly. It, it is. It's, it's, it's a rehabilitation. And to a degree, yeah, COVID, that was mm -hmm. a timeout. Go sit down. Think about what you've been doing or right. not been doing. Right. And reassess and reevaluate and get yourself together. Right. And I like to think that maybe that's what's happening now is that we're seeing this influx of adults coming in and they're realizing I can't do this anymore. Whatever chaos of my life, let me let me come in here and sit down and figure this out. Right. Because we were we were able to run from the chaos, I guess, or hide from it, yes. or party from it, or drink from it, or, Indeed. or, or deep, but now we've got to deal with it face to face. So how has divorce uh, and COVID and everything in your business <laughs> shown up? I should just, that's, oh. that's, how's that shown up? <laughs> I tell you the truth, not, I'm not able to, I know at least in my practice and then my colleagues, we can't yet see. The reason okay. being, people may have stayed out of necessity. I would say that maybe we're seeing people who are staying in situations out of necessity for the financial aspect of it, right? Because where, where are you going to go? In a lot of cases, some people are on unemployment. Um, they, you know, maybe lost their job and they're just kind of sitting and waiting it out um, and maybe just opting to stay in, in certain situations because it's convenient and helpful to them economically. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, we can't pinpoint, can't pinpoint just yet. Okay. I think that, that one still be, you know, maybe a couple years off. Yeah. And what about domestic violence situations? I imagine uh, your people, I can't imagine, I should say, the number of people who are now locked up with their abusers, children included. Exactly. Um, I would say from intake assessments, just off the top of my head, domestic violence, um, you know, domestic violence situations, which again may be connected to those convenience type of relationships, right? Where um, people don't have a place to go. And so they're stuck you know, with the abuser. Um, families have, when I'm thinking of the kids, family issues are starting to show themselves mm -hmm. more and more. So if the mom already had issues, if she had mental health issues or the dad had mental health or personality issues, those are coming to the forefront and they are playing out. But if, the child seems to be the one showing up in those cases, if that makes sense. So 
the parents aren't necessarily going to tell you that they have, you know, any kind of domestic violence issues going on. But when the kids get into group therapy or individual sessions, they're telling it, you know, my parents are fighting all the time, things like that. So how do you help people separate um, the mental health part from COVID? Because a lot of people are conveniently blaming it on COVID when COVID was just the mechanism to bring it forward. For sure. That's a good question. I wonder, you know, as a practitioner, when somebody comes in the door and they say they have a problem, a problem is a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And symptoms are symptoms. So if that person comes in and says, I'm having these symptoms, I'm having these problems in my environment, and I'm having these problems with this specific person, COVID almost becomes kind of backseat. It may come up down the line in their therapy that they're having some symptoms related, like we see OCD, that's a big one, people needing to be clean a lot or things like that, or you know, kind of worried that they're gonna get sick. So I would say COVID, if it shows itself, great. But we're always, as practitioners, we're gonna be dealing with the symptoms and the problems. So you take the scapegoat away from them. You said, no. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and that's what I tell patients anyway. It's like, you know, you could you can blame all day, but at the end of the day, it's you sitting in that seat. And as long as you keep exploring what you gotta do, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. You can't blame it on COVID. You can't say, you know, it is what it is. If you got a problem, let's fix it or let's find the solutions for it. So during this time, uh, it's, a, it's amazing. So I, sometimes I feel like I need to make a public service announcement because people <laughs> are often affected by our loved ones who die. And I was reminded recently that 100%, that 100% of us will die. But uh, sometimes people hold that in. So uh, when you're talking to them, how do you, what are some of the techniques people can use to get past that? Because in some situations, um, some environments you can't be there, some you can. I don't care what's out there. Sometimes life just keeps you from being there. Exactly. And you're talking uh, like the COVID related uh, the COVID related, the COVID related deaths were sudden. I think um, they were they were sudden, and people seem to, I guess, grieve harder than some other things. And I I think sometimes it's because you couldn't be there. You really couldn't be there. Most definitely, that's um, it. It it hit you know my family. It's hit people close to me um, where it was immediate. Um, People, COVID, yes, the isolation and my understanding for a lot of people is they weren't able, you know, they, they literally couldn't even communicate with the staff um, to find out about their loved one. So you have anger towards, you know, the system that, that has kind of separated you from the loved one, but two, it's, it's unfair, right? Doesn't it? it I mean, death, we already feel an unfairness to it, but this virus on top of that, um, there seems to be just this unfairness of it. Like it hit my loved one, 
you know, um, I know for myself, I recovered from it and it was, it was horrible. Um, and so just having to lose somebody to it, um, I, I do, from what I've seen and observed and, and for myself, it does add that extra layer of, of pain in terms of something we still don't really understand. Um, and I think that would probably add to someone's grief because that's another stage of grief that maybe we may have to add into there because you know you have you have the five stages, but what if understanding, what if that's a, a level that we need to add at some point in time that you need to take time to understand why someone died? I think that is one. I uh, had a death, not from COVID in my family. It was from a um, gunshot violence. And that understanding piece is missing from those steps. Right? Yeah. yeah it's hey, missing, right? Dr. Stephanie, I think we, I, come on. Right. I think we, we might something, have coined right. something tonight. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, so when you, when you deal with African-Americans, what are you finding some of the major issues and triggers are? And then, and I know this is a loaded question, what would you suggest we do as a group of people? Because we have so many things coming at us. Um, I saw a, a television show that was a rerun and a guy was um, uh, being charged with something that he was innocent of. And a, his father said he did it and they asked why. And he said, because he said, but your son is, his lawyer said, but your son is innocent. And he said, well, I know in America that being innocent is not enough to keep him out of jail. Oh. Yeah. So how do you, so what are you seeing in Af in the African American population? Race is always going to be, you know, a, a, an additional layer. Um, I I just completed a diversity um, course for my for my licensure, mm -hmm. um, and and it discussed that you know just having that awareness that for the African American you can't separate any aspect of our journey here in America from the, you know, the, the racial issues. And when we talk about mental health, forget about it. The, the numbers of people who go in needing mental health intervention that don't get it, um, it, it stated that, this course stated that in emergency rooms and still, um, in situations of, you know, police standoffs. There's a case here where they're talking about how no one thinks about us as actually having mental illness. It's just, you're savage, right? You just have no home training. You just come from that side of the tracks, that side of town, you're black. That's why you got problems. Um, so we are least likely to have someone consider that aspect of us. And then when we do come into the uh, mental health care system, there is that bias. Mm -hmm. You know, I've witnessed it with colleagues. There's the implicit bias. Mm -hmm. uh, she just making up, she just making up symptoms. She just, you know, she just looking for attention. Um, and when you've lived in this skin and you've had to be extra or uppity, right? <laughs> now you're going to be labeled something else. So mm -hmm. the oppression does, you know, it, it does continue, but I will say this, 
it's not stopping people from coming through those doors. Good. It is, people are still seeking it out. Families are starting to understand it more. We're starting to talk about it. So there is progress, but as far as African-Americans and, and mental health, it's going to be up to us. I'm gonna say this to your listeners. It's gonna be up to us to take control of our wellness, our trauma. No one can heal this trauma for us. You know, we can blame institutions and other tribes all we want to, but at the end of the day, the true justice is gonna come from us actually healing our own traumas. As a quote someone said once that it's, I didn't cause the problem, but the healing of it is my responsibility. So it's our responsibility to be sure we take care of our own healing. 100%. So when you are working with African-Americans um, in the mental health field, is there, a, is it, sometimes people get caught up in a psychological loop. So there's so much going on and then they don't want to talk about it and they keep going back and back mm -hmm. on some stuff. So how do you break that and get them to settle down and look at what's really happening? Come on, listen, it's the whole reason you, you, you had me. Comedy, right. comedy, comedy. I hit people with, <laughs> I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm actually stand-up therapist like that's okay. really what I feel because it's getting real and honest about it and I'll you know and I'll joke with patients I'll I'll you know kind of clown with them or whatever but like you know your, your your mom was like baby just baby it's just pray to the Lord baby you just gonna <laughs> talk to Jesus baby you gonna be all right it's good I'm gonna pray for you mm -hmm. and and that had been you know the way that historically our families addressed our issues and a lot of times once you point that out to people that their their parents have kind of skimmed over you know mm -hmm. and they realize how they skimmed over it hits it, it just it it penetrates because it's the truth you know the truth will penetrate and then a lot of times they'll go yeah I guess you're right Mrs. Tanya Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking that's right because it fixed everything. So they thought. But, Come on. Yeah, but I guess we have to remember back then, sometimes it's all we had. Uh, and getting still and understanding what's wrong helps everybody too. So, <laughs> and it's, you know, and, and it's, we're all growing. We're all growing. And so I would say just African Americans, we, we are another layer to this, Dr. Stephanie, I would say too, is we have had to learn first on one hand, we're, we're being told don't trust this system, right? Don't trust right. the medical uh, institution, but with mental health, we're saying, come on to the mental, mental, you know, the medical institution. So you got this dichotomy of don't trust versus trust. And so I would say sometimes that's a big part of what practitioners have to do. Um, no matter the practitioner's ethnic background, you have to earn the trust of black folk. You have to. We ain't opening up to you. We ain't gonna tell you nothing until we really truly know that it's valuable and that we're not gonna be hurt again. 
what are some of the other instances where you can successfully use comedy to get what you need a patient or get a patient to be where you need them to be or get them to talking more? Because I know, like it says, we don't trust much, especially with stuff that's going on in here. We don't want you to think, we don't want to leave what you think and we crazy too. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yes. With teen, t- teenagers, especially teenagers, I got to role play and act. And <laughs> usually what I'll do is bring in their uh, cultural, kind of like their little cultural sayings and things like that. Cause they're all, you know, they're all on TikTok and, right. and, and so it's usually kind of acting out for them what they do. And they'll, you see them kind of amused and they're like, how does she know we do that? That's the main thing. Another thing I'll do is, I mean, I'm a mother. I have a 15 year old uh, son. And so, and I was 15, right? So I'm like, you guys can't get over on me. I know what you do. And so I'll hit them with, you know, I know what it's like to be a 15 year old. I have a 15 year old. Um, Also as a parent, I can be transparent with either other parents or kids. And I'll, I'll say, look, this is where we're slipping. And that honesty, a lot of times for kids, you'll see them nodding like, yeah, my mom does, my mom does do that. And I'm like, I know, (laughs) (laughs) trust me, because I do it. And they're, they're in goals. I don't give away my secrets, but that's, that's what I do. Okay. So, so as people think about teenagers, though, they think you don't have a problem in the world. This is what my mama used to tell me. You don't have a one job. Go to school and work. What? I mean, go to school and get grades. That's your work. So what problems are teenagers experiencing that you see that parents maybe need to be aware of? Because sometimes parents just don't know. They don't know what to look for. The number one word now i use a what's called a emotion wheel and this wheel will have shoot probably a good hundred words on it and a teen will come in and they have no way to usually to verbalize they can't say they're angry they can't say they're sad they just don't know i would say the top word that gets circled is lonely and empty, lonely and empty. And it's, you know, I really connect it to, I gotta say it, but as a much of a blessing as social media has been, it's also kind of the bane of a teen's existence, right? Because they're having to connect through the screen Whereas we picked up the phone, right? That we, we didn't have the internet. We had to pick up the phone and call people or go outside and play. And so I would say that a lot of them are isolated. Um, their family, everyone's on technology. So these kids just seem to be in their own world, disconnected, even though they seem more connected. And it leaves them empty because they don't really know how to get to know people, right? Like, how do you really truly get to know someone through this screen um, over time? So loneliness and emptiness. Loneliness and emptiness. So as a family unit, unit, what can parents or relatives do to 
to sort of alleviate some of the loneliness and emptiness? Be present, just be present. Put your phone down, put your phone down, <laughs> turn off Netflix, right? Um, go to the park, go take a walk, get a bike, go back to basics. Just go back to basics. Um, but when you're there, be connected. Like I'm having to learn this, you guys. I'm not talking at you. I'm talking with you. Just, you know, listening. We talk. We don't listen. As parents, we don't. <laughs> and that's what the kids say. They don't listen. I, they tell me they listen, but they just talk at me. Um, so presence and listening, active listening, reflecting, not telling them what to think or how they think, but really truly asking them, what do you think? And then they can start to get back to processing their own thoughts and, you know, and then value their thoughts. When they tell you something, it's so easy to go, whatever, you know, oh, that's, that ain't nothing. You know, we, we dismiss it or we undermine it really truly tap in and check in and and you know help them evaluate well what do you think about that or how'd you come to that conclusion and then when they're done interesting I like how you came to that conclusion or something like that so just being connected Dr. Stephanie that's it is it seems life sometimes can seem so complicated in the solutions but I'm finding in the work that I do it's really simple um, we just have to have the will to get back to it. So it seems like we all need to put down our phones, not just our kids, because, you know, adults say, God, those kids are always on their phone, but we're either on our phones or Netflix, you're right. <laughs> and I do see it a lot where people, parents will be out even in the park and they're on the phone while they're holding their kid's hand instead of having a conversation with the kid about stuff, so. yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it, but I am more conscious of it. Um, you know, I was eating with my son yesterday and I, you know, I, I reached for my phone and then I just, I was like, nope, because we have a no phone at the table rule, which he honored. He didn't pull his phone out. I was proud of him. He he's, he's good about that. But, um, you know, again, we, we got to practice what we preach. So how can parents use a little comedy in their conversations? <laughs> Sometimes we, we're real good at barking, but how do, we, how do we use a little comedy when we're uh, just sort of talking to our kids or even to our significant other? Because a lot of times, I know that's got to lighten it up a little bit where people will be willing to risk telling you how they feel about something. Most definitely. And, and it's tough too, because we are all easily able to mask with everyone else, right? Like it's easy, it's easier for me to go out into the world and be bubbly and, you know, put the mask on and everything. And then we come home and we take the mask off and our family actually sees who we are, which you know, that's not a bad thing in terms of they get the real us, but I would say recognizing that the, the joy that you hoped to create 
and you're right. Didn't, didn't we have families so we could have fun and That's have somebody to love us? Yeah, and have a good yeah. time. Um, you know, right. we I, want that kid. <laughs> I mean, kind of right. Maybe right. Like, you know. I mean, here they are. Let's. <laughs> but you know, I had so my my parents, uh, um, my mother and father. They were not married as I was growing up, but my parents were goofy. Like they were goofballs. And thinking back, what I would almost say to parents today is like, tap into your inner goofball. Like just be, you know, silly at times. And sometimes when your child, when it seems like it needs to be something that you would be serious about, yeah, just, you know, joke about it. Like the times I remember my son would kind of like, He'll get a little, he get a little sauce, little little saucy, you know, a little hot sauce. I'm like, wait, let me and I and I'll j- joke like, you talking to me? You talking to me? Oh, and he'll he'll correct himself and he'll say, oh, and then he'll, you know he'll. But imagine if I like came at him. Who think you talking to? You know, as opposed to you talking to me. I know you ain't talking to me right now, you know, and it shifts the whole energy and they learn, right? I mean, I, I would learn from somebody who's funny, um, as opposed to serious, because if you're serious, I'm probably tuning you out. But if you tap into that inner goofball side of yourself and just kind of let go of all those social norms, you can shift the way even that you parent in the home and some things can start to lighten up for you. So as a stand-up comedian, I understand my slide used to tell me I was silly all the time. It's like, it's like, he would do something wrong and I'd say, look, I need to know what you were thinking because my child didn't do that. Come on. You know, my child didn't do that. So what were you thinking? But how do you use this in your stand-up comedian routine? It just seeing you know the uh, charlie murphy eddie murphy's brother he always said the absurdities of life life is absurd there are things that happen and you're just like really (laughs) really (laughs) and it's so absurd and going back to COVID, even it's so unfair right there's things that are so unfair but what the comedian does, you know, we find there's a, there's a duality of life. There's tragedy and there's comedy. And tragedy is guaranteed at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Something's right. going to be tragic to someone. And it doesn't matter how, it could be somebody ate your leftovers. Tragic on first world problems, right? (laughs) On the other side of the world, somebody can't find a sandwich. Tragic. But we, I think the work that a stand-up comedian takes on is doing the work of finding the comedy in that situation and then bringing it to the masses, right? So that Mm -hmm. we can, so that we can heal from it because it, it, I really, truly, Dr. Stephanie, I think it's a gift. I do. I, I think that comedy is 
if, if I were to say that, you know, you know, if God was going to give you trees and the earth and all these things that you can enjoy, it's almost like it was implanted in us to be able to laugh. And it just, man. So that is the medicine, you know, getting on stage and literally pouring that elixir of laughter for people. But it's, you got, but you got to look at the, the ugly. You can't just get up there and try to, you know, there, there's some comedians that are good and it's just funny, 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 but it's the ones that kind of get a little, a little dark, but it's cause you, you know, you got to go there. You got to go there into the darkness and, and pull out the light. So we do have a question. Uh, we talked about the, okay, viewers pay attention. We talked about incorporating laughter in the treatment process. Um, so what are some of the most common socio-political issues that you deal with? Common social, oh, I would say definitely substance abuse. Okay. okay. So substance abuse in terms of legal versus illegal, who should use and who should not use. So, so I'll give you an example in Texas, um, medicinal cannabis is legal, um, but we'll have people who, you know, they struggle with certain issues and they'll say, why well, I, I got to smoke. I got it. They I smoke. It makes me feel better. It calms my anxiety and my depression. And it's what I do. And then you have to tell them, but it's causing problems, you know, other issues. And it's also, you're addicted to it. So, you know, there's, that's a conversation that'll come up that you have to have. Um, definitely always race, right? Always racial issues. Clearly from last year, those things are still kind of cropping up. Um, LGBTQ, okay? Uh, we are currently as practitioners, um, especially here in uh, Texas, especially they're changing some of the language that has to be used. Um, I know at the facility that, the facilities that I've worked at, it's, you know, it's inclusive whatever someone is wanting to be referred to, it's automatic, no questions asked. Um, now for us as therapists, it also becomes a little bit difficult because we, we do still have, and I have to make this clear, I wanna say this to people, I don't wanna be controversial, but it's, it's necessary to say, I will say this, we have people that struggle with gender issues that are related to their traumas. Okay. You, you feel what I'm saying? And yes. so it becomes challenging sometimes to help a person explore their trauma and some of their fears related to gender and yes. still honor, you know, uh, the, the LGBTQ community. So that's something that's pretty significant. And you're going to see that in the next couple of years, it's still going to be a thing. Yeah, I know people, it's all through the press, people, people who are not having issues, gender issues are having problems with people who have gender issues. Yes. Uh, it's just yes. everything else. It's sort of like another form of a, um, of a COVID timeout, you know, 
your things have to <laughs> been set sit down. down. <laughs> sit down, figure out what you live at the end. As Adam Smith said, we're all dead. So it's like, I think we spend too much time in between birth and death, worrying about things and not laughing enough. Because as you said, uh, we can guarantee that all 100% of us will die of something or nothing, but we'll die. And that we will have some of these issues in life. So what do people say to you after a after they watched you do your stand-up comedy? I bet that's an interesting. That's probably almost as funny as you're on stage. It you know what? I this is gonna sound I don't see that I'm funny. <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I'm just me, but people will say, oh, I was so funny and when you said you know the thing you said and and I I just I'm grateful I'm grateful um for that feedback because it's what lets me know that what I'm saying is it's effective you know and that clearly I'm triggering something um I had I did a I did a bit, this was at a Hope Flood, comedian Hope Flood at her comedy convention just a couple years ago. And I was doing a bit on, I have a bit on, it was like Obama and Trump or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I could hear somebody giggling and laughing every time I, you know, did one of the, the little bits. And she came up to me after and she was like, girl, I was just giggling through the whole thing. Girl, you just had me giggling like a schoolgirl." And, <laughs> and that's, that's the, that's it. That's the sauce. You know, that's the rub right there that again, you know, you know, you're effective and you know, you're hitting a funny bone. How many people have actually come up? I know people are healed by comedy, but how many people have shared their stories with you after? comedy or do they ever share them after you've finished not you know not I would say not necessarily in my routines but I do know of comedians that they um you know especially if it's a topic um that like there's a there's a comedian I've seen and he talks about his own sexual trauma oh it is and that's a tough thing to do uh but people he'll come I've seen him come off stage and I've seen people say to this guy like keep going keep going because you're going to help so many people you know a man talking about that uh but I know you know for myself what uh, what people do feedback to me is I am very upfront in my comedy about racial issues and I've had people say you know, it was a little passive aggressive, but you went there and they get why I do that because you kind of got to, you know, stare things in the face, Mm -hmm. but you got to be tactful, you know, about how you approach it. So for me, it'll probably always be race issues that I think people will hopefully see what I'm intending to do. And it's to make us think more than anything right. and heal and heal right and talk about that because when we can talk about it i think sometimes when you hear yourself really talk about it or hear you talk about some of the things we say 
you probably stop and think, oh, wee. okay, I need to make some changes there. That's <laughs> so, what we're hoping for anyway. Yeah, yeah. I did a, I did a COVID, well, you know, you go to the open mic to test out. Uh-huh. And I did it. I did a COVID joke. I'll just be disclosure. I did a COVID joke. I won't tell the COVID joke that I did, but it was kind of like too soon. And the, the audience was like, oh, I mean, they got it. But, the, and then I said, was that too soon? They were like, yeah, that's too soon. I was like, well, too bad, but thanks for the feedback. I'm, <laughs> I already said it, but it, you know, we're not, we're not ready yet and that goes back to you asking you know are we still kind of hurting you know still traumatized from it and I was like yeah we're but even you know even I slip up I make mistakes too oh it was I didn't fill that one out too well (laughs) (laughs) that's all right that happens to all of us gotta do it gotta 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 fail sometime so what can one do to maintain a healthy sense of self while being immersed in some of these issues who um and 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 i I breathe because i'm having to do the same thing with you guys healthy sense of self affirmations 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 um challenging negative thinking i know this is one for me constantly thinking the worst case scenario negative self-talk, right? Mm-hmm. Learning ways to ask if it's true. Find the evidence to prove yourself wrong. So imagine yourself in a courtroom, okay? And you are the judge, you're the jury, you're the, the, the defending, you know, defendant and the, the, the prosecution, you're all the people in this courtroom and you have this piece of evidence there. And let's say that the evidence is I am, the biggest one people will say is I'm, I'm a loser or I'm worthless. What's the evidence? Go ahead and present the evidence to yourself. And you're gonna have exhibit A through Z, right? Of all the reasons that you are not worthy or you're worthless, go ahead and list them. Then on the other side, you need to come up with evidence against that statement or that judgment. And once you look at that list, nine times out of 10, you know, even the person who struggled in their life is still going to come up with, I was, you know, I helped my sibling when they were struggling. I am a great coworker, I'm a good friend, you know, I have a kind heart. You're going to find some things that you don't have to prove to anyone else but yourself. And that's really, you know, if you're able to develop that kind of self-talk and challenging yourself, that's, that's the way out. That's the way out, find the evidence, find the evidence that you are worthy, you know, find the evidence that you are useful. And, and I would say that's probably the number one thing I could say to people. And another thing is gratitude, gratitude, make a list A to Z. So A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. And you need to list one thing for each letter that you are grateful for. 
And I don't care if it's air, uh, bears, <laughs> coffee, you know, a, a donut, whatever it is that little things that make you happy or content or make you think about the little things in life. Gratitude. That's a cool way to do a gratitude list too, is yes. using the alphabets. Because uh, I was sitting, when you did that, I thought, oh, donuts, chocolate. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, you know? Yeah. Yep. And I was and, amazed that, because I do gratitude lists, but I've never ever approached it from that way. So that's yeah. And people struggle sometimes, you know, they'll struggle to come up with some of the letters. And I say, just keep going over it because, and then you can say it in a way that you didn't before. Like, um, like let's say for I, you couldn't think of anything. Just say ice cold beverage on a hot day, right? Right. Right. Um, dog kisses, um, you know, puppy butts. I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is right. that, that makes you laugh or makes you feel good but definitely challenging those negative thoughts and gratitude, I would say would be the two things. And you'll, you'll feel yourself just immediately starting to feel better. And I, I like the idea that's really unique because uh, I think everybody teaches challenging the negative thoughts, but then from the whole courtroom perspective, you know, you're presenting the evidence as to why what you're saying is true. And then the evidence as to why it's not true. And, uh, and, it's, and I can just see that playing out in someone's mind as you're thinking about it and and what you focus on gets your attention and then all of a sudden then the positive things will just come fighting through because they want to yes. be heard too yes indeed that is fantastic uh so depression depression is one thing that people just throw around i'm so depressed oh i'm depressed okay mm -hmm. so what so what is depression really um and share some insights as to some of the causes and possible treatments so a medical you know a medical practitioner clearly is going to look at depression from the biochemical aspect right they're going to come at it from you are suffering um, some kind of uh, neurotransmitter is depleted or you know uh, and they're gonna look at medications to be able to restore, replenish those uh, neurotransmitters, getting, getting your body working right. Mm -hmm. On the therapy side of the house, okay? Gotta distinguish the two. I have found, hear me out folks, I have found that depression in women tends to be suppressed anger. People think it's sadness, but I have found that it is anger, and, and it's not just women, I mean, men too, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but suppressed anger in women, and then after a while, once you haven't been able to get an outcome that you desire, that's when all of that worthlessness, uselessness, emptiness, all of that stuff starts to settle in, right? Because you can't solve your problem. And what you think you're sad about, you're really raging. I find so many patients are like raging inside. I had a lady that she would talk. This goes back to what we were talking about in the black community where we'll downplay, right? Mm -hmm. Baby, just pray, baby. You're going to be all right, girl. Just right. talk to Jesus. Right. Just talk and to they've, 
but they've done that. They've done that. They've done that a thousand times. And they talked to Jesus, but their situation didn't change because it requires action. And if you either didn't know how to take action or you, you weren't allowed to take action or both, that's an angry person after a while. And you, you, you can create this really internal rage. And then ultimately there's some sadness, but you also find there's a lot of fear about why you couldn't change your situation or why you didn't change your situation. Okay. So I would say fear, a lot of anger, a little bit of sadness in there. Now for men, I have found that it's inability to express sadness because a lot of times they feel inadequate. Large part of our population of men, every group, every single group, it is expectations that they can't meet as a man or whatever society's expectations of a man to meet or they're struggling and working so hard to make ends meet or, and I'm talking military people, all, every industry, it's inadequacy for men. And a lot of times, believe it or not, that makes them sad. It makes them feel empty, worthless, useless. They have, because, and, and here's why I distinguish the anger, because we know that men tend to show their anger when they're sad or afraid. Okay. You see, so you're seeing a really, really angry, 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 angry man. And you're like, I got anger problems. If you were to probe deeper, he's got fears. And he's probably a little very sad about his situation because he's been angry and he's been showing his anger for a long time. So I would say depression on the therapy side, you guys, believe it or not. It goes beyond, you know, what you think it does. So when say women find themselves really angry, and <laughs> I've been there, I do a workshop on how to dance with anger, as a matter of fact, Ooh. which actually uh, has looking at the feelings, looking at what's driving the feelings, and and then you bring down to what you're going to do. Yeah, so I so I think anger is powerful emotion. So, uh, but how do, so you you talk to people and you say you really are experiencing some sad women, you're some sadness over some things that didn't happen. And, you know, and I don't want to mock people, but, you know, we do get a lot of just pray about it, but prayer, it does take action. You do have to pray, but then there's a saying that says, once you pray, get up and act like you pray. So you're going to have to take action. So how do people figure out what actions they need to take, even though they may be in the midst of feeling fearful? And this is why, you know, a life coach such as yourself or, or a, or a therapist is going to be, I mean, I can't, I, I would I would love to say that we figure these things out on our own. And I think that we can, but as a therapist, I have to go to therapy, right? I have coaches, I have mentors. So I would say to people, make sure that, you know, if you have someone that you can reach out to that's that's either a mentor, make sure it's outside of your family. Cause family, oh, you know it. Come on. 
They are so subjective. They can't be objective. You can't be objective. You cannot. You can't. Trust me. You know, as logical as I like to think I am sometimes, I'm like, how did I, how did I miss that? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can't. Come on. You, come on. You're a doctor. You know, it. you can have all the degrees from all the universities. We cannot help ourselves. I'm That's sorry. Right. That's right. I am the, f- I'm right. the first to tell it. That's right. I am right. Come on. Come so on. I can see other people's trees in their forest, but all day. I can all day long, but I cannot see the trees in my forest. Okay. None. Too close to it. None. So and that's, the, that's right. We're coming yeah, to no. the end. So yes, ma'am. what nugget would you like to leave us with before we close out? Listen. There is so much going on on this planet right now. Um, I have literally watched, I I can't count uh, on my 10 fingers now, people passing away in the last, shoot, three months. Every single day needs to count every single day i don't care if it's just you get outside and watch the birds watch the squirrels something get up and say thank you find something to be grateful about and you don't have to be you know I know that we're on this kick of being your best self and I do agree with that, but sometimes just being is okay. Sometimes just getting up and just saying, thank you that I breathed today. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have to check anything off my list and that's okay. It's enough, it's more than enough, but making every single day count. It, it's, I can't say it enough. It's, you know, it's cliche. And we'll say it forever, but like Dr. Stephanie, like you said, we are not going to be here and we are 100% going to die <laughs> at some point. Right. Accept that, embrace that fact and live. And live, yes. So remind the viewers of your website and your own show. Yes, yes. So the Mental Speak radio show, it broadcasts live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Central at, and you type this in, it's fbrn.us. And that stands for Fishbowl Radio Network. It is the largest online internet radio station of its kind on the planet. Over 100 great shows, uh, including mine. And uh, we'll love to have you as a listener. Uh, We cover, again, all the topics we interview entertainers we interview comedians and we cover all the socio-political issues but the number one thing you guys is helping us heal our trauma as a as a group so fbrn.us and uh lt at mental speak radio if you'd like to reach out to me lt at mental speak radio.com and i will also be doing coaching uh courses um probably in the next couple months or so, but I'm excited to bring this with the comedy to people for healing. 
healing sake. And thank you so much for what you do. <laughs> You're welcome. But thank you for what you do. Thank you for being here tonight. And um, gosh, I almost hate for it to end, but our time's up. So as I always no say, I want everyone to go gently into that. Do not go gently into that good night. I want you to find a heal worth dying for, and I want you to take it. I want you to make today so awesome that yesterday gets jealous above, above all else. Do it your way. And remember, life is too short to drink cheap champagne. I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor. And as always, dream big. Until next time, remember, life is too short to drink cheap champagne. Good night. Hi, I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor. And I just wanted to, for the next few minutes, to give you some tips about how to actually live your dreams. I want you to start with some self-discovery. I want you to take a piece of paper and write down three to five things that you've accomplished that you can absolutely brag about. I want you to write about how it makes you feel, some of the steps that you took. But these are things that you decide that things you brag about. Don't ask your neighbors, your best friends. It's just you and this piece of paper. Next, I want you to do is to write a list of the things that you would like to accomplish. And as you do that, I want you to define what it is, how you're gonna do it, and set a date when you're gonna do it. And then, I want you to dream. I want you to create a picture, a vision board, a collage. It can be magazines, you can use postcards, whatever you like to create a picture of this thing that you want to accomplish, the goal you want to achieve. After you've done that, then I need you to set the team up. Who do you need to reach out to to help you? When do you need to get started? Are there any skills that you need to learn? And if there are, when are you gonna start the process? I want you to give these steps a try this week and let me know how you did, because I'm sure you're going to have an amazing discovery. Again, I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor, and as always, I say, dream big. Mommy.